Hello and welcome to Boiled Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, the Director of Government Affairs for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Joining me today from the Orla team is Lori Little, our Director of Communications. Hi, Lori. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. No problem. Have you gotten your house decorated yet for the holidays? Actually, we're, we're halfway there. Uh, my job is to put the tree up and haven't got, got it out of the box yet, actually. Oh, out of the box. Okay. Yes, we try to be really green. I understand. No, no. that's great. Well, you know, uh, Christmas tree prices are going up this year, so um, get out early yes. and get yours if you haven't already. But looking forward to seeing pictures I'm sure you're going to post, right? Oh, definitely. Good. Yeah, I haven't done anything. I have to get the lights up this weekend if it doesn't rain too hard. <laughs> Just don't do it <laughs> while Just... it's raining. Well, I've I've seen those uh, I've seen those lights that you put up on on the house that you just plug in and, and put in the front lawn. I'm really tempted to do that this year, but I think my kids will kill me if I do. So I'm going to have to probably get up on the ladder this year again. And actually, my neighbor has so many lights that I don't think we even need lights on our house because it's so bright. It's the whole block is lit up. There you go. That's help help him pay his electric bill this this Christmas, though. Huh? Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, today we have a great interview. Uh, we're going to be talking about service animals, a subject that has become uh, increasingly in the news. Uh, it's been on uh, TV and in newspaper, and we've heard radio stories about it, and it's even made it all the way to Broadway, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But first, we want to make sure you are getting the most out of your membership with Orla, and to help you do that, uh, we want to highlight a benefit that you may or may not be aware of. So, for example, did you know that members get 10% off their workers' comp premium with SAFE? We have a new Orla group program for workers' compensation insurance with SAFE. It's a 10% discount on your annual workers' compensation premium. You can contact your agent or SAFE directly at 888-598-5880 and ask for an Orla group quote. And if you're not an Orla member, you can contact us today at 503-682-4422 or email us info at OregonRLA.org, where you can join and start taking advantage of all the benefits that we do have to offer. And we've got uh, Shane Swilly with us today, a partner at Cosgrave, Vergeer, and Kester, uh, Employment, Business, and Commercial Litigation. Welcome, Shane. Thank you, Greg. Glad to be here. Did I say your last name right? You did. Okay, perfect. I want to make sure. Uh, With a last name like Astley, I always check to make sure that I'm getting people's names right, so... Well, we're going to dive right in. Um, Shane, welcome to Boiled Down. Let's talk about service animals. Um, This time of the year, a lot of people may be getting dogs as pets for the holidays, and um, obviously some people get very attached to those animals, and they want to take them everywhere, including restaurants. So uh, for somebody who has a dog, a new puppy maybe, uh, can they take them into a restaurant if they want to? Well, I'm very familiar with this living in the Portland area and how attached people are to their dogs and how dog friendly many businesses are. But um, the law does not particularly allow you to bring every dog you own into a business. Um, the, but there is some law that provides that service animals are required to be allowed into a place of public accommodation. The federal Americans with Disabilities Act and Oregon state law equivalent both require that if you are a quote-unquote place of public accommodation, you need to allow a person with a disability to bring their service dog onto the premises uh, in most situations. Okay. So there, so service animal, pet, uh, I want to make sure uh, our, our listeners know what's, what's qualified as far as animals to be service animals, right? 
Yeah, so, so a, a service animal doesn't mean you just slap a name on them and say, hey, this is my service animal. Uh, a service animal is, as it implies, an animal, usually a dog, that is specifically trained to perform one or more tasks to assist a person with their disability. Now, this can be a physical disability, a mental disability, um, but the animal has to be specifically trained to perform some sort of task, uh, such as um, turning on lights, uh, guiding the person if they have vision problems, uh, helping them with balance if they have mobility issues, pulling their wheelchair, um, things along those lines. They're work animals, and the work has to be associated with that person's particular disability. So if uh, you weren't the person with disability and you were out with a service animal, um, just taking it for a walk doesn't necessarily mean they would qualify at that point to be brought into a place of a public accommodation. And real quick, just to define uh, for our listeners, uh, a restaurant, a bar, uh, a hotel, an inn, um, a, ca- uh, a shop, a grocery store, those are all places of public accommodation, at least the public portion of the premises. Okay. And so you said usually dogs. So I just want to make sure our listeners know what animals are legally qualified. So I'm going to read a list. I just want to get a, a quick yes or no from you. So you said dogs. Yes. Okay. Cat. No. Ferret. Nope. Hamster. No. Hedgehog. Nope. One of my personal favorites, a helper monkey. Seems like it should be, but it's not. Okay. Uh, Donkey? No donkeys, even Eeyore. Oh. Goats? No goats. Chickens? No chickens, even though some people I've seen like to dress up their chickens. (laughs) I've seen some talented chickens at the state fair, too. Uh, How about an elephant? Uh, An elephant, although probably smart enough probably would be logistically hard to be a service animal. Okay, and, and not not, not legally qualified, right? And then uh, what about a miniature horse? Yes. Oh. A miniature horse has been added to the regulations as being the only animal other than a dog that can qualify as a service animal under the federal ADA and by virtue of regulations, the state's law. Okay, so just dogs? And miniature horses. Those are the only legally qualified service animals in Oregon. Those are the only two that qualify or can qualify as a service animal, provided they're trained to perform a task. Right. Just being a dog or a miniature horse is not enough. Doesn't get you, yeah, it doesn't get you in the door. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I don't see too many miniature horses out there. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever seen one, but that's great to know. So what about um, for our restaurant owners and operators and even our lodging operators out there who, you know, encounter guests with animals what are the two questions they are allowed to ask someone with an animal to you know just determine if they are a service animal yeah that's a good question Lori. i i do get this a lot from many of my clients because they are often skeptical is this a service animal they want to be able to ask probing questions to determine do i really need to allow this animal onto my premises well the law only allows two questions you mentioned to be asked of the person with the service animal. The first is, is this animal required because of a disability? And this is a yes or no question. You cannot ask the person, what is your disability? Um, It's just yes or no, and you have to take them at their word. Uh, The next question you can ask is, is what is the specific task this animal provides for you? And you, again, have to take them at their word, and those are the two questions you can ask. 
So, but do they have to show you the tasks? So, for example, if I say, you know, do they perform a specific task? And they say yes. Can I, can I then ask, can you show me the task? You, you can't. You, you cannot ask them to put on a performance, so to speak. They, again, it's, uh, you have to take them at their word. And the policy behind that is, you know, the law is designed to help people with disabilities who often face stigmas in society, and they shouldn't need to have their privacy um, or their credibility questioned any more so than a person without a disability. Yeah, you know, that makes sense, though. I mean, um, you know, you, you listed off a few tasks earlier, like leading the, you know, someone who's blind or, or a, a signal dog if they can't hear. But, you know, certainly there's some other tasks out there, like, uh, you know, for those that uh, might have um, psychiatric episodes or seizures. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't want them to... Um, wouldn't want to see that. Yeah, I mean, there may be a way, no way that you can have them perform the task without the person actually having an episode, um, which is clearly something you would not want to have happen. Right. Or even ask someone to try to replicate for you, right? So, so which brings up a good question, Shane. So do you, do you need to ask the question if it's fairly obvious from looking at the person, what task their service animal performs? For example, you said, you know, if someone has low vision or, or is blind and they have a guide dog, I mean, clearly that would seem to be a service animal. Do you need to ask those questions at that point? Uh, you Actually, you shouldn't ask those questions. Okay. The law, particularly, the law prohibits you from asking those questions if, it, again, it's obvious based on what's in front of you that this animal is a service animal. If, you know, Seeing eye dog is the most uh, obvious. The other would be uh, a dog that is pulling someone's wheelchair because mm-hmm. they're unable to uh, pull, move the wheelchair themselves. So mm-hmm. in that situation, uh, you don't really need to ask the question. Okay. What if I have a doctor's note, you know, saying that my dog really helps me calm down or, you know, de- decreases my anxiety? I need this dog with me. Uh, comfort animals, as they're called, uh, or... Uh, Emotional support animals are not considered service animals under the law because they're not trained to perform a specific task. The mere presence of the animal is not a task. Now, there could be a situation where, let's say, the person suffers from severe anxiety or PTSD or some sort of uh, disabling condition that is triggered by certain events or certain uh, environmental um, certain things being present in the environment and the dog is trained to identify those things before the person may see them then in that situation they would be a service animal um, even though that kind of overlaps with them providing some sort of comfort Um, but just again the mere presence of the animal that provides comfort or they love this animal and it makes them calmer is not enough Okay, so, but if they're part of a person's medical treatment plan as a therapy animal, you know, if I have a teacup pig and it, it helps me to stay calm, it, is that considered a service animal? No, it is not a service animal for requirements of being allowed into a place of public accommodation. Now, you know, it, it may be an animal they're allowed to have at their apartment under housing law, but, you know, this is those are two separate things here, housing law and accommodations for uh, people in places of public accommodation are two different laws that you often see uh, a lot of this confusion arising from. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of confusion, we we do get a lot of questions from members, um, particularly restaurant members, you know, that that see animals in their place of business and have to, you know, wonder 
are they really service animals? And so they ask, um, do these service animals need to be licensed? Or you know, do they have to have that special little yellow jacket that they wear? No. There is no licensing requirement. Uh, there is no um, marking requirement. They don't need to wear the jacket. They don't need to wear a badge. They, uh, there, there's no particular um, license or badge or anything that they require of the dog. And you can't ask for that. So you can't go up to the person and say, I don't think this is your service animal because it doesn't have its little green jacket on or its mm-hmm. little red jacket or, you know, let me see a doctor's note. Let me see a license. Again, you can't ask those questions. They're not required. And even if the person were to present them, absence saying this animal performs a task and mm-hmm. I am a person with a disability, that doesn't prove it's a service animal. So uh, the license, the jacket, it would be useless in this analysis. Hmm. Well, we certainly know that um, folks are getting those jackets, those vests and things online and, and trying to pass those off. And it, it brings up uh, kind of an interesting um point of law, which is there's at least two states right now that have made it illegal to pass off an animal as a service animal, and that's uh, Michigan and California. And I know in doing the research that uh, California, if you falsely claim that an animal is a service animal, it's a misdemeanor. Uh, it's punishable by imprisonment in a county jail for six months or a fine of up to $1,000 or both. Uh, do you see something like that happening in, in Oregon or the rest of the country anytime soon that, that service animal advocates maybe are going to start pushing for more regulation around um, service animal identification or false identification? I don't know if you're going to see a lot of push in that regard. There's a lot more um, pressing concerns for legislature, uh, particularly in Oregon, um, by way of reference to show how uh, little has been attention has been paid to this uh the definition of service animal in oregon's law basically says a dog and any other animal prescribed by regulation Mm -hmm. but if you go look at the regulations and this is a statute that was passed you know decades ago um there there there's no regulation so they've never oregon has never gotten around even saying you know in oregon these are what we consider service animals so by virtue it defaults to the ADA, which defines as a dog and a miniature Miniature horse. horse. Um, So if they can't even get around to defining more animals as being service animals uh, or specifically limiting it to the ADA, I don't think you're going to get much of a push to um, punish people for uh, falsely representing an animal as a service animal. Um, But by segue, on the flip side, uh, in Oregon, there is a law that specifically says uh, you can be civilly and criminally liable if you harm a service animal. So uh, uh, listeners should be wary if you know an animal is a service animal, becomes out of control, uh, don't take matters in your own hand and uh, harm the, the animal the just animal, because right? you're upset, uh, you know, unless it's going to harm someone else. Sure. Okay. Well, that seems like a great place for us to uh, take a break, and we will be right back. Are you in need of quality alcohol server training and certification? Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association pioneered online server training in Oregon. Approved by the OLCC, Orla's online alcohol server training allows you to get training when you need it, available 24-7. Training and exam costs only $18 and is valid statewide for five years. Get started today at OregonAlcoholServer.com. 
All right. Well, welcome back to Boiled Down. My name is Greg Astley. I am your host. And our guest today is Shane Swilly, partner at Cosgrave, Vergeer, and Kester. And Shane, if anybody wants to get in touch with you after they listen to the podcast, how can they do that? Uh, the best way to reach me is just to dial me on my direct line, 503-276-6074. Great. And uh, Shane, again, works in employment, business, and commercial litigation. And I also help uh, employers stay out of litigation. Which is a good thing. Good to know. <laughs> so we've we've been talking a lot about these, um, you know, the the emotional support animals versus the uh, service animals, and we certainly don't want to downplay the importance of those emo- emotional support anim- animals. We know that they're critical to, um, you know, very beneficial to those who who need them. Um, but we are just trying to clarify the law here. That's correct, Lori. I mean, there's very much a place for emotional support animals and that's why there's housing laws that allow those people to keep uh, that need them to keep them in their homes Uh, what the point of this podcast is to educate those who run restaurants who run lodging uh, what the law does require so they can make an educated decision about how to deal with a situation when they're presented with uh, a guest who may want to bring an animal onto the premises that may present a problem for them there, any business owner is certainly um, free to make any decision they want to allowing any animal, be it a service animal, an emotional support animal, or just the family pet onto their property. There is no law that prohibits that. Yeah, they could certainly have their own own rules and, and be pet friendly. I mean, there's a number of uh, businesses, even restaurants, you know, that say, hey, your pets are welcome. So, and they, they clearly identify that on their, you know, on the front door, so... Sure, a lot of them put out their bowls of water, and, and uh, especially in the summertime for dogs or, or whatever animal you might be carrying around with you to, to get a little drink of water. Um, but So let's talk about that for just a second, too, because we do have, obviously, pet-friendly hotels, places where you can you know bring your dog or your cat. Usually, again, it's a dog. But um, for people in, in those kinds of situations who, who are just bringing the family pet, you know, there's usually some sort of a, a fee, a pet fee, whether it's related to cleaning or just the fact that you have a pet in the room. So can you charge the owner of a service animal a fee to have them stay at the lodging property? Is that legal? That is not legal. So even if you do allow pets and you have a pet cleaning fee or a pet deposit, service animals under the law are not pets. They are workers. They're just as if the person had a personal assistant that was staying with them. So you you cannot charge a person a fee, even if you charge for other pets, uh, to have a service animal on the premises or in the room. So to clarify, even hotels where they don't have pet-friendly rooms, but a service animal is brought in, you're saying that they cannot charge a cleaning fee to to clean the room if uh, after they left, there was, you know, pet hair and dander, they just felt it needed to be clean. That's correct. They can't charge any particular fee just because they're bringing a service animal into the room, even if they don't allow pets. Otherwise, um, now, if they generally charged a cleaning fee, regardless of pet, uh, to the uh, to the guest, um, then they could charge that cleaning fee because it's charged to every person. Mm-hmm. So what if the animal uh, causes some sort of damage? Well, in that situation, you can charge the guest to pay for the damage. But, and there's a big but, only if you charge other guests to pay for the damage they um, might cause through either a pet, 
or not a pet. Um, or a child. Or, or a child. Or themselves <laughs> after a particularly raucous night. Maybe. Yes, exactly. So um, <laughs> that that is the caveat there. You have to, you basically have to treat them like you treat everyone. Mm-hmm. So I have, I've had this question before. Um, you know, service animal gets left in the room. Housekeeper comes in to do a room cleaning and the service animal is not crated. So the housekeeper doesn't feel comfortable. Does a service animal have to be crated if they're left alone in a room? Should a service animal ever be left alone in a room, I guess? So that's a that's a good question, Greg. The law does allow the owner of the, per, the property to require that the service animal will be kept under control. Uh, they conclude, you know, when they're outside the room being kept on a leash. Um, but when they're in the room, yes, you can have a requirement that the animal be crated or somehow restrained um, in a humane manner that uh, uh, allows the cleaning crew to be able to come in without fear of the animal. So crating would definitely an appropriate request, provided again that if they are a pet-friendly establishment, they also require that other pets be crated or um, treated the same as the service. Somehow animal. restrained, yeah. Yeah, back, so if they see an animal that is not under control, might be a, a good assumption that that it is not a service animal? Well, I wouldn't say it's a good uh, assumption um, because the the law doesn't want you to make assumptions. But if the animal is out of control, um, that is an opportunity for the business owner to have a conversation with the owner about keep the requirement to keep the animal under control. They can ask them, for example, if the dog's uh, barking incessantly in their room, they can go to them and say, you need to control your dog it's barking too much if the dog's chasing people around the premises you can tell them you need to keep your dog under control otherwise it's going to have to leave and and can that be a one and done situation you know i notice the service animal is chasing rabbits around the property can i say that's it you need to leave or do they have to be given some sort of a a warning to keep the animal under control you would want to be. You would want to give them a warning at first, instead okay. of just jumping straight to your dog is out of control and it needs to leave. Okay. And the same situation, obviously, with the barking. If it's going on, you can contact the service animal's owner and say, you know, we've had complaints about the barking in the room. This is your warning. Otherwise, if it's not under control, we'll need to ask you to leave. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a you know, best practice anyway is to. Um, you know, talk with them first and, you know, give them a warning and, and make sure they understand what your concerns are, um, you know, with, with the animal. So, yeah, you would want to treat them again, just like you would any other guest. So if you had a guest who had children who were acting Mm -hmm. uh, out of control, um, or themselves were acting in a manner that, uh, isn't so far over the line that they necessarily need to be removed immediately, uh, but is causing a problem for your other guests, then the best way to deal with that is to ask them to stop the behavior. And you'd want to do the same for a service animal. That way there's no argument that you um, went straight to ejecting the animal, uh, whereas with your other guests, you give them an opportunity to fix the problem before being asked to leave the premises. Sure, which raises the question, uh, if you, let's say you have a service animal that misbehaves and, and is barking or is out of control, uh, and that needs to be removed. Do I still, as the owner of that establishment, do I still have to give that service animal owner the opportunity to purchase goods and services or the accommodations without the service animal present? Yes. So you're, 
you can ask that the service animal be excluded if it's not properly trained, if it's acting out of control, if it's you know not housebroken, it's making a mess. You can say, you know, you can't have that service animal here. You need to, you know, take it outside, uh, put it in your car, take it home. Um, but we can't have it here. But you cannot exclude the person themselves from being able to stay at your hotel, eat at your restaurant, um, come inside and shop, and that may require your staff to give a little extra assistance to that person because the service animal is no longer there to provide that assistance. Okay. So do restaurant and lodging properties need to provide food and water for service animals? No, the law specifically requires, and again, this is just what the law requires, um, that the owner of the animal is responsible for taking care of it, cleaning up after it. Um, You don't need to, you know, have your concierge walk around with a little baggie after the dog that's the owner's responsibility um but again you see it all over uh portland and around this wonderful state that uh, people often leave out bowls of water uh, for dogs and people's pets so again the law doesn't require it but if uh, if they want to give dog treats and they want to have a bowl of water uh, that's definitely something they can do to make their guests visit that much better yeah I was uh, actually staying at a hotel earlier this summer, and it was not a pet-friendly hotel. However, they they did have on the side of the hotel, and I saw it marked as um, a place for pets to relieve themselves. And I thought that was a nice gesture because obviously they've um, had some service animals there and wanted to take the extra step to make sure that that they had a place for that. Yeah, I think it's important to put some forethought into it. For when they do have a service animal or if they just have someone who's walking by and they have their pet and they say, you know, where can I, you know, where can I take my pet to relieve it? So where can I take my service animal if they have that question similar to, hey, you know, your smokers, where the smokers go, something along those lines. Well, and it's an amenity, right? It's something that that um, whether it's a restaurant or a lodging property, they can offer as something extra uh, for their guests uh, to use while they're there at the property, which is always a nice... It's about being accommodating. Customer service, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, we've had a story told to us about a patron who brings in their animal and puts the dog up on the table at the restaurant and lets them eat. Is that allowed? I mean, legally, I guess. Obviously, an establishment can decide for themselves. Uh, No, I think legally that animal would not be considered under control if the establishment's standard is to have the animal stay on the floor under the table and be kind of out of the way of their wait staff um, and not causing a problem. And and speaking of under control and on the floor, um, I, I was hoping you could share the story with us that you led your article off. It's coming up in the lodging news uh, on service animals because it um, obviously it's a very humorous, uh, story about service animals. Um, if you don't mind. Of course. And I thought it was quite funny. I was reading the news, uh, the morning I had to write that article and I was wondering what I was going to do for a, a lead in. And I saw a, a news article, um, about, uh, a dog turned out to be a service animal who was uh, chasing a cat. And this was newsworthy because the cat happened to be an actor at a showing of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Cats. Um, <laughs> and uh, apparently the dog took uh, offense to one of the actors coming down into the audience and took uh, began chasing the actor. They were quickly uh, brought under control by an usher. 
Um, the article didn't go any further about uh, discussing whether or not the uh, person was asked to take the animal out. I assume they were allowed to continue watching the show with the, the dog under control again. But um, that's a perfect example of a situation where the animal may be temporarily out of control. You give the owner an opportunity to uh, stop the behavior. Well, and I'm guessing that animal got a little more training when they got home. That's that's probably <laughs> most likely. I think I, I would be a little again. I think those are the types of situations where you begin to suspect that this may not be truly a trained service animal because, uh, as we were discussing off air, you were talking about the four paws on the floor right. kind of kind of rule or expectation mm-hmm. that service animals are generally very well trained not to react to uh, a situation, but you know, there is always a situation where, you know, the dog clearly wants to protect its owner and very strange situation of being at a musical and a six foot, six foot tall cat comes at you. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, it's, it's got to be tempting. I don't care what kind of training you've been through. Big cat. That's yeah, right. Exactly. So let's try to do a, a quick recap. Um, there's only two questions you can ask, right? Yes. Those two questions are, is this animal required because of a disability? Yes or no. And what is the task that the animal provides for you? Okay, and there's only two animals that are legally qualified to be service animals. Correct, dog and miniature horse. Miniature horse, no helper monkeys. All right. Uh, No emotional support animals unless they can also perform a specific task, right? Correct. And you can't ask them to perform that task. Yep, no performance is required. Right. You can't charge fees for service animals like pet-friendly fees or pet fees, cleaning fees, anything like that, unless it's something you charge absolutely everyone else. That's correct. Okay. And then the animal has to be under control at all times, as we just heard. That doesn't always be, isn't always the case, but uh, they have to be under control. And you still have to provide whatever goods or services or accommodations uh, if the service animal is prohibited or removed from the the premises. That's correct. And the animal has to be housebroken. Okay. And that has to be, that's an important. important one too. Yeah. So fortunately there are some other resources out there besides our podcast. We don't claim to be the authority on this, uh, or at least the total authority, um, for more information on service animal requirements, rules, and frequently asked questions. You can go to ada.gov and search service animals. Also disability rights, Oregon, uh, provides general information with regards to the ADA and state law. You can go to droregon.org. And restaurants looking for something to post at their business with language on the uh, no pets allowed can visit Orla's website at OregonRLA.org and it's backslash compliance. So those are some more uh, resources for you to look into. We're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back with our advocacy watch. Get your staff trained and certified for serving alcohol by Oregon's highest quality training provider for the hospitality industry. Orla provides easy to follow interactive online training that is valid statewide for five years. Employees can get the state mandated alcohol server training they need on their schedule. And now for only $18, go to OregonAlcoholServer.com today. Welcome back. It's time for Advocacy Watch. This is where we boil down some of the local, state, and national government affairs issues that you should be aware of. Top of the docket for us today is tip pooling. Uh, It appears likely that the U.S. Department of Labor will rescind the 2011 rule against tip pooling, which is great news for us here in Oregon. Yeah, we're urging our industry members to submit comments to the Department of Labor uh, in support of uh, the rescinding of the that rule. 
And that's on their website, the U.S. Department of Labor's website. Is that right, Lori? Yeah, and actually uh, uh, an easy way to get there is to go to our website, OregonRLA.org, and on the homepage we have a link. Fantastic. At the national level, the National Conference of State Legislatures, or NCSL, their state and local taxation task force has updated their principles for the taxation of online travel companies resolution to include short-term rental marketplaces. So what does that mean for us in Oregon? Well, what it means is that uh, the National Conference is saying that states should consider the taxation of short-term rental marketplaces when addressing the taxation of lodging accommodations. Right. Don't we already do that? Well, what we have right now are voluntary collection agreements with companies like Airbnb. Um, What this is saying is that these short-term rental marketplaces would be unable to continue evading their tax obligations because not every city or county uh, or state even has an agreement with these short-term rental companies. So this is a big move to try to get all states to make sure that they're including short-term rentals in any taxation of lodging properties in the future. Sounds like a, uh, a better idea than sort of the piecemeal. Absolutely. It's much easier, obviously, on a statewide level to try to collect these things than it is to try to go city by city or county by county. Mm-hmm. And it also makes sure that it's at the forefront of the conversations about ensuring that it's a fair and level playing field for lodging operators, that anybody who's offering lodging accommodations like short-term rentals are also paying that lodging tax as well. Bringing it back to Oregon now in the Portland area, a recent poll of 500 adults in the Portland metro region was conducted earlier in October and found that 83% of the respondents believe there are more homeless people in Portland now than there were five years ago. And 59% say that the homeless situation impacts their decision to go downtown. Yeah, we've uh, been hearing from a lot of our lodging members and restaurant members downtown that uh, there's just a lot more activity and not not real positive activity, but uh, homeless that are uh, being a little more aggressive, antisocial. Yeah, criminal behavior, uh, bad behavior that we've seen. Uh, in fact, 56% of the people in this poll said that they avoid parts of town because of the homeless camps and the panhandling. And uh, we've definitely seen an increase in the number of um, I guess, issues that have been had downtown. As you mentioned, the lodging operators have talked about uh, when the guests are accosted outside of the hotels. Uh, The good news, I guess, is that after meeting with Mayor Wheeler and uh, Commissioner Fish and a few other of the folks at City Hall, uh, they do plan to increase the police patrols and put up signs warning against camping in certain areas of downtown Portland to address some of the concerns that we've had about public safety. Right. So not not just the uh, increased police patrols, but they've they've actually identified these high pedestrian areas, haven't they? Yeah. The high pedestrian traffic areas give the uh, police officers uh, an opportunity to do more enforcement uh, about some of the behavior. And it keeps people moving on the sidewalks. It doesn't allow people to sit, lie or camp out on the sidewalks like they've been doing recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're pleased with that, uh, from the city of Portland and the mayor's office. And we're very supportive of that. So there is a map of the areas where we expect to see uh, more police patrols, these high pedestrian traffic areas. And you can go to our website, OregonRLA.org for more information. We'll also keep you updated on continuing meetings that we'll be having with city hall on this and the other issues that are important to our members. 
Well, we continue to see municipalities, uh, cities or counties either increase or implement new lodging taxes. And the latest is the city of Gladstone. They've implemented a new 6% lodging tax recently. And that's on top of the 1.8% statewide. Yeah, 1.8% statewide and then 6% to the county there. So the lodging operators are going to pay a total of 13.8% in lodging taxes now in that area. Um, The money is going to be held for a year uh, until they decide how they're going to spend it. And the good news is they are going to have kind of a citizen-driven committee, including members of the lodging community, involved in deciding how they're going to spend that money once uh, once it's collected. Yeah, that's that's real important to make sure that they do include the the lodging operators because they have a vested interest in that. Yeah, well, our lodging operators are the ones that are on the front lines. They talk to the visitors that come to these areas, and they know exactly what they're looking for when they come and visit. So we think it's important that they're involved in that, and we think it's important that um, all of the lodging properties, including the short-term rentals, be included in this. So we're hopeful that that'll be the case. There is some good news on the lodging tax front, however. Uh, Umatilla County commissioners recently proposed a 2% lodging tax for Umatilla County, and Orla mobilized members and other industry partners to convince the county commissioners not to move forward with that tax. They heard from a number of lodging operators who are already paying the 8% city tax, both in Pendleton and in Hermiston, as well as the 1.8% uh, state lodging tax. And in Pendleton, there is a tourism promotion assessment that's self-imposed by the lodging operators to help with tourism marketing promotion. As always, let us know when you have questions about government affairs, uh, but also any opinions that you might have and what's going on in your area. And we can be reached at info at OregonRLA.org. We'd also ask that you subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you get yours, whether it's iTunes, Podbean, or someplace else. I'd like to say thanks again to Shane Swilly from Cosgrave Verdeer Kester, a partner as well as Lori Little, Director of Communications for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla, and thanks for listening.